Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. This podcast is brought to you by IG Trading and Investment. Simon Hughes now back in London, and Simon Mann in Calcutta. And Simon, I'm not expecting a ticker tape parade for England returning from the World Cup, which of course they will do today. They finished in seventh position, and obviously they finished with a win against Pakistan, but it was a lamentable campaign overall. So we'll we'll pick the bones out of that in due course, because there's been an interesting uh, conversation with Rob Key. Rob Key's done a, a big interview today in Calcutta post England's World Cup campaign, which of course now they're officially eliminated from. So are Pakistan. So we know the officially know the semi-finalists now: India, South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. But the the Rob Key stuff, we should talk about that, Simon. Uh, later in this podcast, we'll also hear from Pakistan's great fast bowler Waka Yunis about his memories of the 1992 success, the one success that Pakistan had got in the World Cup. But before that, we should just pour over. England's campaign and also uh, an excellent win against Pakistan to finish the campaign. Yeah, where should we start? Should we just talk about England yesterday or should we talk about Rob Key? I'll tell you what, I'll just give you the Rob Key headlines first and we will talk about it later. So Rob Key, main messages today from Rob Key. Uh, It was my fault. Uh, We underperformed massively. Players, management, myself, all responsible, but full support for Matthew Mott, the coach. And we'll explain why later. Josh Butler backed 
He is the captain for the T20 One Day International Series in West Indies, which is being played in December, and an emphatic doubling down on the decision about David Willey's contract. And we'll, we'll look at that a bit later as well. But basically, Rob Key said, I focused too much on test cricket. I didn't give Matthew Mott what he needed. Our preparation wasn't very good, and we made lots of mistakes. So that's a sort of a summation of the Rob Key uh, press conference today. He had lots of interactions, TV, radio, and with all the newspaper journalists as well. So we'll talk about that later. Let's just have a look at England's victory against Pakistan yesterday. And I think actually what England did yesterday was what we expected them to do. A lot of people expected them to do at the start of the tournament. They had an emphatic victory. Okay, get lots of runs on the board, squeeze the opposition. Thanks very much for coming. Basically, that was it. You know, a decent formula for England winning a game, get a big score, and then just denied the, the opposition the opportunity to chase them by taking a, a couple of wickets in the power play. Barbara Zam out just after the power play, and it was a comfortable England win, despite some mayhem at the end. There was a half-century partnership uh, for the last wicket, but it was sort of irrelevant, really. It was just a question of how many England uh, were going to win by. So a disappointing end for Pakistan, who overall have had a you know tough time out here, lots of expectation, a bit like England in a way, lots of expectation, but totally unable to deliver. Yeah. Obviously, the, the power play was, was a key thing and, and that enabled England to build uh, the batting first, the whole thing as well. Uh, over time, they've realised that that is a better route. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I suppose, looking back, that first match in Ahmedabad, and I was in Ahmedabad for the last match of the, the South Africa's campaign, South Africa against Afghanistan, which was a really interesting game. That was on Friday. And uh, actually, Afghanistan pushed them hard and they finished higher in the table than England. Uh, they pushed them hard by probably not getting quite enough runs, but then using their bowlers effectively to put uh, South Africa under pressure. And South Africa challenged there in the run chase. They've won most of their matches in the tournament batting first not surprisingly, with the, the power that they have, but they're forced to bat second. And actually, Rassi van der Dusen, in the end, kind of sort of uh, supervised their run chase and got, got them over the line. But it encapsulated a, an issue that England, I suppose, encountered right at the start when they were in Ahmedabad against New Zealand and saw the impact of the dew that uh, New Zealand benefited from batting second and chasing down that score in... Uh, ra- rapid time for just one wicket lost, and I think that probably influenced England's decision making. So, uh, for, you know, in future matches, so you know, it, it's interesting. I said we, we said right at the start of the whole thing, you've got to start well, uh, especially if you haven't had the right sort of preparation. And I, I guess you know, digesting many of um, Rob Key's comments there, it, it actually what it boils down to is a blurred focus. England have put so much resource in the last couple of years into Test cricket, and obviously with with a great deal of success, and other formats have suffered. In contrast to the 2019 campaign, where all roads pointed to the 2019 World Cup, and England, you know, structured their whole four-year approach into that World Cup, which was at home. And, and obviously we know what happened. So does it suggest the question that actually it's impossible to be successful on all fronts? You, you can't be a successful test match team, you can't be a successful T20 team, you can't be a successful one-day team all at the same time because you're going to use some of the same players and there are going to be calls on those on the players' time. You, know, you, you, know, you had an instance uh, you know, earlier in the year where you know, England were playing a test match at one point and then 
you know, they were playing white ball very soon afterwards. So you couldn't have that crossover of, of players. And that was, that was what Rob Key was saying today about, you know, the problem for Matthew Mott is he didn't always have the players that he wanted. And also some of them were allowed to go off and play in T20 franchise crickets as well, while at the same time that England were playing. So that, that, that was a Rob Key's point, uh, why he gave Matthew Mott his, his full support. You know, he said, you know, sorry, you're not going to have your, your best team in the, in the lead-up to the, to the World Cup. And that wasn't the case, as you point out, last time round. The focus was on one-day international cricket. Yeah, and I think, you know, a couple of things about that. One is that the landscape of the international game has changed with the impact of more franchise tournaments and players in great demand all over the world. And they have to kind of manage their their calendar and therefore sometimes they miss out on international games to, to play to satisfy their franchise arrangements. So the more and more franchise now impacting on teams' international planning, if you like. And I think the other thing, just to say about England, in sympathy slightly, is it's just so hard when you've risen to a crescendo, as they did in 2019, you know, you scale the mountain and then it's a quick slide down the other side because you've put all that resource, all that effort, all that mental uh, devotion into uh, this trying to win your prize and scale your mountain and afterwards you don't have a lot to give and actually credit to England for then winning the T20 World Cup after the, the 2019-50 over World Cup because to win two in a row no one's ever done it have they no one's ever held both uh, trophies together at the same time so that was an immense achievement and I think it's just in the end it's it's, it's cost them a lot you know there's a lot of uh, as a result there's fallout from that it's the same isn't it as 2003 England's Rugby World Cup uh, achievement where and I spent quite a bit of time with those players uh, people like Matt Dawson Johnny Wilkinson Martin Johnson um, and I saw how devoted they were total abstinence for 10 months in the in the hope that they could achieve uh, you know their um, Nirvana and, and win the World Cup for the first time and they did it but afterwards that team never played together again and you know there's a there's a real fallout, and you know the same with England's 2019 World Cup achievement. Not that team's never played together again. In fact, they've never even been together again. I've been trying to organise an opportunity to show them our film, The Greatest Game, and they can all get together and have a party. That's been impossible because people have been scattered all around the world. So, you know, there is that. It, have you got that mental resilience and mental capacity to scale that mountain again? It's very hard. I suppose one team or two teams have done it in cricket, haven't they? West Indies did it 75-79, where they dominated Test cricket as well towards the back end of the, of the 70s. And then that great Australian side, they won three World Cups in a row at the same time as they were very dominant in Test cricket as well. I suppose the, the one thing you would say about those two teams is they didn't have the distraction of T20 franchise cricket that draws players away from the focus of the national side. And I think that's clearly what England have had you know, in the last few years. They haven't played very much one-day international cricket. And I think it was a bit like, I think they hoped it was going to be all right on the night, really. You know, they looked at their squad. They thought, we've got these dynamic players. You know, they've served us well in the past. It should go OK. And they had an extremely uh, rude awakening. I, I remember flying out uh, and I was watching the England-New Zealand game on the on the TV, on the plane, on the way out. And I was thinking, I'm heading out to the World Cup. I wonder whether England are heading out already. It just felt such a damaging a display from England and they they were never able to pull it back and then you, you're right they had those two matches where they 
they won the toss and they batted second against Afghanistan and against South Africa. And Afghanistan, when you play Afghanistan, surely you bat first, get a score on the board and try to squeeze them. And South Africa, it, uh, Rob Key used the phrase today in Mumbai, it was hotter than the sun in <laughs> Mumbai for that game. And, you know, why didn't you just pop your head out the window or whatever and think, hmm, hot today. Let's, I tell you what, let's have a bat first and, you know, <laughs> sap the energy out of the opposition. And uh, I, I did look back at our WhatsApp uh, exchanges, yours, and just after Josh Butler had inserted South Africa, I sent you a WhatsApp which said, I think England should have batted. Um, you know, it's not that difficult to work out, was it really, that England should have batted in that match? I, I, I know it's, you know, I'm not making the decision, but to me it just seems such an obvious decision. If you win the toss, uh, you bat first in that match. doesn't guarantee anything, of course, but it was so hot, so sapping that day. Surely you just work it out sensibly, you know. Yeah, look, we just draw all the energy out of the opposition if we can. Look at the way Australia nearly lost to Afghanistan by batting second. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't their fault. Afghanistan won the toss, decided to bat, but they bat first and batted well. But, you know, look at the, the impact that fielding for 50 overs in that similar heat in Mumbai the other day had on Australia and especially on Glenn Maxwell. So he was batting on one leg at the end when he played that extraordinary, miraculous innings. So... The, 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 you know, logic hasn't always been uppermost in England's decision making. Let's uh, look 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 back at that in a bit. But in this is a segment brought to you by IG, looking at the moments that matter, um, focusing on England against Pakistan yesterday. Firstly, was it hot in Calcutta? But basically, England did take the central position to bat first. Well, it wasn't, you know, unbelievably hot. It wasn't really sapping. Of course, it was warm. Yeah, it was around about thirty degrees and, and quite humid it was also quite smoggy yesterday it was really weird sort of surreal uh, end to the game the last couple of hours you could barely see the other side of the ground so you know the, the conditions uh, weren't great the pitch wasn't fantastic uh, but the key, I think the key for England it, I think they sort of worked out in the end look let's get a big score on the board let's trust our aggressive approach get a big score on the board and try to squeeze the opposition because I've been saying throughout the tournament New ball under lights does something, and it's worth a couple of wickets, and that, that's what England were able to do: go score on the board and then knock out a couple. And it, you know, felt like bingo. You know, they'd won the game by the time they got the two openers out early on. David Willey with his 98th and 99th wickets. But I, to me, the game yesterday was won in the power play. That was the, that was that they were the moments that mattered. England had their best power play of the World Cup. 72 for no wicket off 10 overs. They laid the base. Johnny Best had played nicely. David Milan supported him. And from that point on, England you know, England had the base from which Stokes and Root uh, were able to build. And Butler and Brook came in and played a few shots as well. And David Willey had a huge six uh, very early on in his uh, cameo. And you know, England got the runs on the board. That was always going to be a winning total. You think 3-3-7 three, three, uh, for 9 is going to win most one-day internationals. And they're actually on a pitch that really spun. It spun for uh, Rashid and Moen Ali. England had you know, many too many uh, runs. So yeah, I, to me, yes, the, the, the moments that matter with that power play, England got it right, and it was it was sort of close on a perfect performance, you know, roughly perfect, if if that makes sense. That was the template for England uh, winning in this World Cup for me. And one little thing about that power play, uh, I noticed David Milan took first ball instead of Johnny Bairstow. Bairstow had taken first ball in all the other games and often got out early. And I think that, and I've said this before, I think he felt the pressure of setting the tone and being the guy who faced the first ball in the absence of Jason Roy, who did that for the previous three out of the, the previous four years leading up to 2019 and even after that. 
Jason Roy took on that responsibility. And I think that burden sat heavily on Bearstow and he failed a number of times. So just, just, you know, just lifting that responsibility briefly to, to let Milan, who seems a, a calmer, more composed sort of character, and he's the guy taking the first ball. And, well, the rest proved it, really, because mm. they, they, they eased to a 72 for none off 10, and that really really set an excellent platform. That's why you're the analyst, Yoz. You spot Correct. those uh, little things. Of course, the other thing as well about the fact that England batting first is it sort of almost destroyed Pakistan's chances of, of qualifying for the semi-finals. And there was just a, there was only a small chance anyway, but one of their chances was to bat first, get a really big score, something like 400, and then roll England out very cheaply, you know, 120 or something like that, whatever the, the figures were. And they're in, in the press box to our left-hand side, when Joss Butler called right and said, we're going to bat first, there was a, apparently a huge groan among the Pakistani journalists because they realised that that was just about it for Pakistan. Because the other way round, it, it was much harder to Im- improve their, their net run rate. I, you know, I think they, Pakistan had to win the game in something like... I don't know, 6.4 overs or something, which was impossible because you, know, you hit six hit six off every <laughs> single ball. You were still about 100 runs short. Uh, it needed lots of wides and no balls. Although, you know, Pakistan, so Pakistan might have been a bit deflated actually going on to the field. And there was a five wides right at the start of the innings from Harris Rauf. Extraordinary. It was like, you know, Steve Harmison ball. The keeper got absolutely nowhere near it. So, yeah, I think that obviously helped England as well. So the psychology of it, you know, Pakistan obviously wanted to bat first. And England said, no, we're going to, you know, we're going to do it. We're going to bat first. And so that must have been a, a big sort of psychological setback for Pakistan as well. So the organisers didn't get their dream semi-final of India against Pakistan, but we kind of knew that wasn't going to happen. That would have been in Calcutta. So it's now set up the two semi-finals. India against New Zealand, which is the first one in Mumbai, and then South Africa against Australia in Calcutta. And you're doing that game, aren't you? So this segment was brought to you by IG. If you'd like to make more of opportunities to invest yourself, IG gives you access to thousands of global shares and ETFs, as well as a range of educational guides and daily market analysis. Go to ig.com investments to find out more. And remember, when investing, your capital is at risk. So, Simon, who do you think of the England players has come out with credit from these nine matches in the World Cup? I mean, don't think that many, really. I mean, Rashid was OK, wasn't he? Did you know? Did OK. Uh, David Milan, their leading run scorer. But I think it's a, been a really hugely disappointing World Cup all round. David Willey had a, the, the benefit or bonus at the end of reaching 100 one-day international wickets in his, his final match. But I, I don't think it's a, a World Cup particularly that anyone will look back on that fondly. Ben Stokes found some form uh, towards the end, but his injury at the start, I think, really seriously hampered England. And of course, it took him a while to get into the tournament because he hadn't had any match practice. But some pretty slim pickings all round, I would say, uh, for England. And as a result of that, yeah, yeah, it's a much changed squad for the the one days in West Indies. Inevitably, I suppose, you know, some players have been rested. Uh, obviously, some players I think are going to be moved on now. I mean, there's no David Milan in the one day squad. There's no Chris Wokes in the one day squad. Liam Livingston is in it. Sam Curran is in it. We're in the World Cup squad. So you know, there's a. I think we're, it's, it's in the future. There's it's going to be a, a new look team, isn't it? Really for, for England. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the stats, I mean, Johnny Bairstow, 215 runs, average 23.8, strike rate of only 88, which was quite less, quite a lot less than 
the, the four years before, only half the number of runs he made in the 2019 World Cup campaign. Uh, I'm just looking at the, the, the disappointments, I suppose. Liam Livingston, 60 runs, average 10, three wickets, average 52. I, I think he will come again, actually, and he may have learnt something. I mean, it's quite interesting talking to players, some of the Australian commentators. I mean, Aaron Finch, for instance, very strong on impact players, players who can win you a match. Glenn Maxwell, for example, worth investing, in his view, in players like Maxwell, who might not be that consistent, but can just win a game from nowhere, as he proved the other day in Mumbai. And he sees Livingston as a player like that, who might not necessarily have the numbers, the stats to back up uh, his skill, but can take a game away from a team. I think he's probably more likely to do that in 20 over cricket than 50 over because you do need more depth to your game, don't you? I mean, he's he's a bit one-dimensional, I think, Liam Livingston as a batter. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But he's I guess he's young enough to develop still. He's You know, he has got some, some time on his side, I would say. Joe Root, 276 runs, average 30. Uh, just didn't quite get the tempo right, did he? A um, couple of early... I mean, he sort of said he felt he was a bit unlucky a couple of times. There was a run out, uh, a, a very marginal LBW decision. <laughs> In that game against the uh, the Netherlands, he was out trying that ramp shot and bowled through his legs. He nutmegged himself. I just wonder whether he's overcomplicated it, perhaps. Um, but maybe he's someone that will focus on red ball cricket in the future. What do you think? Uh, I think to be decided. I think that that was that was Rob Key's conclusion as well, was see what happens with Joe Root. He, he's not a player you would just rule out because he's such a good player. I mean, he's one of the greatest players England you know, have ever produced. So I think, obviously, he's going to India... Rest him for now. You know, you know, he's got a, a big assignment ahead with the Test series in India. Five Test matches from January onwards. He's played an awful lot of cricket this year. J- take him out of the one-day squad for West Indies. You know, I, I sense the same is true of Johnny Bairstow. You know, can Johnny Bairstow come again? Yeah, I, I mean, definitely in white ball cricket, he's a devastating player. We saw it in, in Test cricket in the summer. You know, the way he, he strikes the ball. We saw it yesterday as well. He hasn't had a good World Cup. So, I, yeah, I think with Joe Root. I, I wouldn't close that door. I would have a completely open mind on that one. Yeah. And then, of course, the bowlers. We were always worried about the bowling, weren't we? We thought that bowling would let England down. You need to take... The thing about Indian pitches is they're not straightforward. They, they kind of go through phases, don't they? I mean, English one-day pitches generally are pretty flat all the way through. And the team that scores the most runs... It usually in the first innings dominates, but in India you get you do get different conditions. You get pitches which are flat to start with, and then sometimes later on the dew can can influence the decision making. Whether you bat first or bowl first depends on you know, the dew helping the the batters later, or maybe the, the dew might help the bowlers later. And there are some pitches which turn a little bit and they start off sticky and get easier. Uh, some pitches start off flat and get harder because um, they dry out. So you, do, you sort of need to know local conditions. And I thought one of the most revealing things that, that Rob Key said was that the mistake they made was not having a coach in their setup with local knowledge and therefore go, sort of relying on data, which in some of these cases, in some of these grounds, there isn't much of. Someone like Mumbai, for instance, they've only had a few one-day internationals there, five or six 
games before this World Cup in the last 10 years because they tend to take the one-day internationals to smaller centres uh, in the main and play a lot of T20 at the, the big grounds. So I think they, they that, that was a definite error on England's part. Yeah, well, the, the only thing about that is that the, uh, the, the team analyst for... Uh, the England team analyst, who is Freddie Wilde, um, crunched the numbers for Mumbai and said there was no obvious swing either side, you know, batting first or batting second in Mumbai. You know, there was no, there was no clear pattern. Yeah, but that's because so, they didn't yeah. have much data. That's because there weren't yeah, many matches. Yeah. So you've got to go on, is that, you know, yeah. I, I think so, it's it's an error to, to rely on that, really. More, you just got to look at the conditions, talk to some local people as well. And they may, maybe didn't do that. Well, I think the, the point being is they didn't go on data on that issue. They probably went on you know, th- their instinct or the way they want to play. And for me, it was a it was a tactical error rather than a statistical error, if, if you see what I mean. OK, well, that's interesting. Uh, we'll talk about Rob Key's interview and comments more after the break uh, when we'll also hear from Wacker Eunice. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, there are a few more things to say about uh, Rob Key's uh, media interactions uh, today. So Matthew Mott, he got his full backing from Rob Key. He's emphatic about that. Yeah, we, we want him to continue... You know, that point being that you know, we didn't give him the tools t- to succeed in India. I didn't give him the tools. We didn't focus enough on one-day international cricket. And Josh Butler definitely continuing as, as captain. I mean, the one sort of caveat there, of course, is that Josh Butler is the T20 captain as well. And England are defending the T20 World Cup in the West Indies uh, next summer. And, you know, they won the last one. Josh Butler led them to, to victory, you know, a year ago in Australia. Goodness me, there's so many ICC tournaments, you know, the, the whole time. So, you know, they're, they're not going to take away the white ball. Well, I suppose they could have taken the one-day international captaincy away from him. have three captains. Does that confuse it? I don't know. Is it better to have a white ball captain and a red ball captain? You could have three uh, separate captains. But you're not going to take the T20 captaincy away from a man, you know, who was successful uh, a year ago. But uh, so, are you surprised in any way that Rob Key has emphatically put his support behind uh, Matthew Mott and Joss Butler? Well, in a way, if Rob Key was admitting now that Matthew Mott was the wrong person, that the, the, the it points to Rob Key's 
poor decision making himself. So that's a criticism of, of his own decision making. So I suppose he can't really afford to say that because then everyone would start asking questions about Rob himself. I think that it's it's fair enough to to give Matthew Mott more time. Uh, it, it, clearly, one of the reasons why they won the T Twenty World Cup was they'd found a format that worked in fifty over cricket, and also they had a, an Australian coach, and the the T Twenty World Cup was in Australia, so. He was very familiar with the conditions and the approach. Coming out to India is different, and England have been exposed. They've been found out. Butler should know more about the, 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 the how to play in India than Mott would have done. Uh, but, of course, he's played a lot of T20 cricket in India and not that much 50-over cricket. And England's 50-over cricket in India has generally been poor. So, I, I in a way, because of that blurred focus... Um, with with Mott not enabling uh, or not getting the, the first choice eleven enough times, I think it's fair enough uh, to, to to back him. Still, it suddenly doesn't become a bad coach after one tournament like this. And I think also just changing coaches all the time is destabilising. Well, Rob Key said there are going to be some honest conversations, but he gave Matthew Mott his full backing. And just a few other things just to, to pick up on: uh, Joffrey Archer. He is not going to the West Indies. Um, and Rob Key mentioning that there was a slight reoccurrence of his elbow problem. He was out here in, in India uh, with the England team. And there was a feeling that he might bowl at the back end of the World Cup. You know, he might be fit at the back end of the World Cup. But he has got a, a problem with his elbow again, which is, you know, such a you know, big problem for him. And you've mentioned this before, haven't you? How that an elbow problem is, is such a debilitating thing for a quick bowler. He mentioned Rayan Ahmed. That he, you know, he is part of the, the the Lions party that's out in the UAE. He's also in the both squads, and he, and he he gave away. He said he's he's essentially preparing for a series in India. Um, so it looks like Rayan Army is definitely going to be in England squad for the the Test series in India. The other thing which he addressed as well, and I think I think this is sort of quite niche, but it's quite interesting, is the whole issue of contracts. Um, now I think I think this is interesting because there was a big thing in during the World Cup, which is, you know, why are they announcing the contracts now, and why are they uh, revealing that David Willey uh, hasn't got a central contract? And there was a David Willey himself uh, after yesterday's game said, "I was actually thinking out thinking of pulling out of the World Cup on the eve of the tournament because I wasn't given a, a central contract." Now on that, Rob Key said he, he feels he absolutely made the right decision. He feels that. You know, for David Willey, it was thus far and no further, and that he wasn't going to be part of their future plans. They were, you know, they were looking at developing other younger pace bowlers for the future, for T20 and for the, for the next World Cup. So, he, you know, he, he absolutely doubled down on his decision not to give uh, David Willey a contract. That just, it's interesting just on the timelines here. He said on the 19th of September, they all knew who was getting a contract and who wasn't. And David Willey was one of those players who, who knew he wasn't getting a central contract. And he said the, the problem was if we'd kept it quiet, he said immediately that was all in the Telegraph newspaper. So he said everything gets leaked to the newspapers uh, straight away. So he, they, they couldn't keep anything under wraps. So if they sort of kept the whole contract thing under wraps, it, you know, it would have gone into the newspapers anyway. Um, 
but he also said if they didn't do the contracts now, then players wouldn't have got paid on the 20th of October. He said their new contracts start on the 1st of October and they get paid on the 20th. So if they just held the contracts off until the end of the World Cup, then people wouldn't have been getting paid. And everyone likes to be paid, Yoz, don't they? So, so, they were, so he said, you know, revealing it, it was the lesser of two evils. You know, they were, in a, in a sense, his point being that they were in a difficult situation because of the timing. You know, the timing didn't work. It was, you know... And you can understand the situation that they were in. What you might say is that they've been better off for sort of harmony, and you know also because David Willey is a you know he's a decent cricketer, and he, he's, he was saying afterwards that you know he feels he's sort of at the top of his game, he's super fit, and, you know, and they might need someone as you know in the in the World Cup in 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 West Indies next year. If there are a couple of injuries, you know, they might need someone like uh, David Willey. I just wonder whether it was actually worth. It would be more politic to give David Willey a one-year contract. I don't know whether that was a possibility or whether actually. You you know, ultimately, you said, well, one year is not enough. I actually want to be free to go and play in all the, the franchise cricket that's available uh, to me and, and, and make lots of money. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy situation to manage. But, you know, he did say it's the lesser of two evils. And that's the decision uh, they came to. And it's very hard to keep these things quiet anyway, because it just en- all ends up in the newspapers. It's all our fault. It's all the media's fault. Uh, I, I, of course, it's, it's another example of the franchise world having an impact on uh, the international game because the reason why they have to offer those contracts in the first place is to stop players from disappearing off around the world to play in T20 franchise tournaments. I mean, I think that, uh, I, I must admit, I, I, I take my hat off to David Willey because there's never been any sign of anything other than total commitment to the England cause throughout this campaign. He was dropped after early on and you know, then took a bit of time to get back into the team, but he's never been short of total commitment. I've watched him in practice, throwing himself around in fielding practices and doing his bowling and, and obviously working on his batting as well. And actually, his batting's come through pretty well. I think he's got one of the best strike rates and he keeps hitting massive sixes with only a, a couple of balls to face. In, incidentally, Bairstow... In the whole tournament, only hit three sixes. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, a man who you'd expect would be an absolute powerhouse. Uh, six hitting is his thing, including the and first ball he faced. Including the, actually the first ball he faced in the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, again, it shows England's sort of lack of aggression, which they so focused on when they were uh, successful in 2019. But Willie uh, has proved me wrong because I said. I felt he was a bit innocuous as a bowler and he's taken quite a lot of wickets and been quite effective. So uh, credit to him for all, all the commitment he's put in. Yeah, and he was asked uh, today, Rob Key, you know, he, Rob Key said, well, go and prove me wrong. And he was asked, well, did David Willey prove you wrong? And he said, he said, no, I'm, I absolutely agree with my decision uh, not to give him a central contract. He said it's basically it's time to move on. You know, actually quite, you know, quite a ruthless statement to make. You know, we've got to look at the other young fast bowlers. David Willey's 33. We've got to move on now and, and develop uh, you know, a whole sort of phalanx of, of fast bowlers because we got, you know, England are going to need fast bowlers in the future. You can't just have three, you know, two or three to rely on because they, they'll inevitably some won't be fit. You know, you need a whole or battery of, of pace bowlers to rely on, you know, I don't know six, eight, whatever, and, and that's what they're looking uh, to develop with the Lions, and of course with these this one day in T20 series uh, in the West Indies. So that's England, Yoz. What about P- 
Pakistan. I mean, you know, wailing and gnashing of teeth in England, but I imagine there's plenty of wailing and, and gnashing of teeth uh, in Pakistan uh, today at their failure to qualify uh, for the semi-finals. In fact, I know there is, and there has been lots of wailing and gnashing of teeth in the last few weeks. You know, the, and it's such a contrast, isn't it, to the, you know, some of the great Pakistan teams of the past? Yeah. They haven't had a, an impactful bowling lineup in the same way as England didn't really, and um, their batsmen, are, uh, you know, down after number four, haven't really delivered either. Uh, they just haven't been good enough as a team. We we said their spin bowling would probably let them down, and that's proved to be the case. Um, and their batting just isn't quite good, deep enough, really. They haven't got those sort of players that six and seven who can change a game, can win a game like a Glenn Maxwell. So I guess not surprising. Uh, disappointing for them, clearly, because you know there's such a, a huge fascination for the game and the players under massive pressure. Uh, it, just, they just, it just wasn't their tournament, really, was it? No. I think you know, focus on Barber as well. You know, is, is, he a, is he that sort of captaincy figure that can galvanise a team? Wouldn't be surprised if the captaincy was taken away from him afterwards. I mean, a lot of criticism for, for Barbara Zam in, in Pakistan. Uh, you know, it also he's one of those players. I mean, he's a lovely player to watch yesterday. He played, he played nicely. You know, he's played three or four gorgeous strokes, then pulled one to mid-wicket. He hasn't had the impact either. You know, you need someone... Your captain, your talismanic uh, batter, really. You need someone to really well, come up with big runs and and be positive, score quickly. Sometimes he's just a, just feels he's a, a little bit too passive. Fuck, as a man flickered. Yeah. Um, you know, he he showed the way. Well, he came in late, didn't he? Came in late. I, he, he was, no, I, I agree with you about Bubba. And in fact, I I did a bit of analysis on his batting. I focused on him when he was playing a couple of games in Calcutta, and I noticed that. He struggles against spin, amazingly, not necessarily getting out to it, but he can't score consistently and he doesn't really sweep. And mind you, neither does Virat Kohli and, and he does all right. But something about Baba's game, he, he struggles to rotate the strike against spin and his strike rate against spin is about 65 in 50 over cricket, which is quite poor. You know, He's a lovely player caressing the ball around, but seems to need pace on the ball uh, to, to really prosper. So... Maybe that kind of just impact on his captaincy as well. He seems a bit sort of diffident as a captain, rather than, as you say, having a kind of strength and vision to to really power the team forward. It's all a far cry, isn't it, from great Pakistan teams of the past? You know, sometimes you know that, that Pakistan teams that. They just so at you. I think we only really saw that once in the tournament, in that match against South Africa, where they were so aggressive and they just tried to drag South Africa back towards them. South Africa eventually got over the line and won by uh, one wicket. And that, it, ultimately, that was such a crucial result in that game. I th then I think we knew the, you know, the writing was on the wall for Pakistan. They probably weren't going to qualify for the semi-finals. If they'd won that game, it would have been different. There was that LBW shout that we've uh, touched on this podcast you know, a couple of times when umpire Wharf gave... Tavris Shamsi not out. It was umpire's call, so if he'd given him out, it would have stayed. Pakistan would have won the game by a handful of runs. Yeah, so that, I think that was the one game where we saw like a really aggressive Pakistan, just you know, emotional and, and doing everything in their power to try and stay in the tournament. Apart from that, it sort of felt just a, a little bit limp and exemplified by their performance against India uh, in Ahmedabad. You know, facing that huge crowd, good Indian side, 155 for two, and then went down like a pack of cards. And they, I think really, I don't think they really recovered uh, particularly uh, from that uh, performance. I think it knocked their confidence, sapped them. They've had unusual conditions here in India as well, really high security wherever they've been. So yeah, they found that a bit suffocating as well, I think. 
and you know they're heading home and um, obviously they'd love to be in the semi-finals but there might be a sort of I don't know slight element of relief to get out of Dodge City possibly <laughs> well one Pakistan cricketer who definitely isn't limp is Waka Yunis uh, who's been part of the TV commentary team and was involved in the 1992 triumph Pakistan triumph World Cup triumph but not as a player well not much as a player because he was injured but uh, we can hear from him now saying how that was very much his favourite World Cup moment. Look, World Cup has never been that great to me. Uh, but uh, my favourite moment, I would say, is from 1992 World Cup. I was injured. I went back home and nobody gave us uh, any chance of winning that World Cup. And I ended up winning. Uh, and watching that World Cup with the, with the family at home and... Uh, you know, especially with those three wickets from uh, the Makram, that was just awesome. I mean, to start off with Beefy's wicket and then uh, Alan Lamb and and and, um, and Chris, uh, it was just awesome. That was just a highlight of uh, of the entire World Cup for me. And once he took all those wickets, those three wickets, I knew Pakistan was going to win. And what was it like being in Lahore when when you won? It was just amazing. I mean, um, uh, the entire country was out. I was I was in Lahore, and and I went out, and, and I live near near I live near a uh, a big market, you know, the shopping place, and and people were out just partying, you know, all these, um, you know, uh, you know, they were they just, music was on, and they were happy, they were enjoying. I mean, you know. Nobody expected Pakistan to win, and something like that happened, and it just gave, lifted the entire entire nation. and uh, And of course, uh, that has really done wonders for our country since then. When they came back, when they arrived back, was mm. it a big celebration? Massive celebration. I, I I still remember. I went to I went to receive them, and, and those days security issues was not there, and and we could actually go on the on the runway, and they they came and. And spotlights were on the plane, and then they came out, and I was just literally standing uh, underneath, beneath the, uh, the, the the staircase, and and I was with some dignitaries, and literally when Vasim came out, Vasim was the first one who came out, and he had this crystal trophy with him, you know, in his hand with the spotlight, is just sort of lit up. Literally, my sort of I, I I just broke down. I just literally broke down because I couldn't couldn't believe that I was not part of that, but uh, you know. The guys came down, they gave me a big hug, they picked me up and then we went on the big truck and then, you know, the party started. You know, I can still visualize the way the whole thing happened. First winning the World Cup, the way Vaseem bowled and when Zaman batted, Imran really stuck in and Javid Niyadad batted. And then, of course, uh, uh, you know, then they, when, they, when they arrived back, it was just a party mode and, and, and I still remember being on, the, on top of the truck and you know, wherever I could see, there were people, there were horses, there were camels, and there were just drums out and music was loud. And it was just amazing scenes. Since I have started, uh, you know, watching and playing cricket, uh, you know, that Basim Akram was the, was, was the hero of that World Cup. Overall, generally, you know, I started cricket by, by watching Imran Khan. Because, you know, fast bowler, I was also a fast bowler, I wanted to be like him, I had a hairstyle, tried to look like him, uh, and that didn't work. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Imran Khan is, was, was massive then, I mean, for, especially for the, for the faster, faster bowlers. So, he was the man who really I looked up to when I, when I started my, you know, cricket. I mean, when he became Prime Minister, that was the time I, we went and saw him and got to his, you know, uh, both ceremony and but uh, since then uh, you know it's, 
I'm not a political person, so I don't get involved in any of that. So, you know, it's sad what has happened. What an amazing cricketer Waka Yunus was, by the way. It's incredible to think that Pakistan won that World Cup without him. Uh, imagine how strong they'd have been if they had him as well. But it was an epic final and a, a wonderful moment for Pakistan cricket. And, of course, a wonderful moment for Imran, who, uh, well, sad to say, is now in jail behind bars. And goodness knows what's going to happen with that in due course. So no Pakistan in the semi-finals. Uh, the semi-finals then are India against New Zealand in Mumbai and South Africa against Australia in Calcutta. Well, I'm going to go for India to win in Mumbai. I just think New Zealand haven't quite got it enough depth and the Indians are playing so well. They've won all nine games, India, and they just uh, look an immense team. Uh, how do you see the, the semi-final you're doing, Australia-South Africa? Uh, well, fascinating. Shades of 1999, you know, and that whole legacy for South Africa, you know, the, the, the choke. You know, is this their moment? They have beaten Australia in this World Cup, but they also fell in a heap against uh, India in, in Calcutta, uh, you know, a week ago. Uh, I think it depends who bats first, actually. I think if South Africa bat first, they've got an excellent chance of, of winning the game. Just on you know, the, the, the final and who's going to make it, I've been, I, I like to tease locals. A lot of people want to, say, to come up to you and say, who's going to win the World Cup or who's going to be in the final? My response to that is normally, I think it's going to be a New Zealand-South Africa final, which, which people look at you and go, uh, no, I think, it's going to, I think India are going to be in the final. Uh, they don't quite see the, the the teasing. I think I think on balance, I think it's going to be an Australia versus India final, and India I think just fear Australia a little bit more than they fear South Africa. Uh, but you know who knows? It could be a repeat of the Rugby Union World Cup final, New Zealand against South Africa. I think New Zealand actually have you know one of their great days to take down this Indian side, and the other semi final. I would think I think Australia, I would put them as slight favourites. But it wouldn't surprise me if, if South Africa won the game. Mitchell Marsh, 177 yesterday mm, yeah. in their final game. So, uh, well, that's a, quite, a, quite a statement, isn't it? They have got some power, Australia. It'll be a power-packed match, that Australia against South Africa. Yeah, I noticed, Yoz, yeah, you said India had won all nine games. We are recording this podcast while India are playing against the Netherlands. Um, I don't think there's going to be an upset in, in Bengaluru. Uh, India close on 200 for two. Virat Kohli going well uh, again. Uh, so it is going to be nine Indian victories. Um, is it going to be a tenth on Wednesday in Mumbai? Well, I, I don't think I'd bet against it. But of course, you know, if you do bet against it, you might make a bit of money because the odds will be quite favourable for, uh, um, for a New Zealand victory. Just quickly, um, as, a, as a quick recap, having had five weeks in India and, and now back, mm. uh, back in the UK, whether India will be kings of the World Cup, we'll see in a week's time. But I think they've definitely been kings of hospitality because I think the, the, the setup of this World Cup, not necessarily for spectators, but certainly for the media, has been absolutely superb. Um, hotels, transport, airports, food, uh, just everything has been really great. I don't know whether you think that, but just seeing the way India have evolved now, India has evolved as a nation, and the the level of hospitality quality as well, uh, I, I think has been really impressive. You know, it's things like you can have ice in drinks now, and all your things about uh, hotel rooms with enough 
sockets and there's no mosquitoes in airports and things like that. I haven't had one single mosquito bite in five weeks in India. That's quite amazing. Yeah, I've had a couple, but normally you get loads, don't you? Mind you, I've got that spray to, to stop you. One thing I've noticed, the, the one thing I've really noticed about this trip, I mean, I, I think, you know, you've got, you've got to be a bit careful. It's, it's easy to sort of get into a bubble, a media bubble, isn't it? And feel every, you know, everything's really yeah. nice and you get sure. not nicely looked on. But one thing I've noticed is how reliable the airlines have been uh, I think you know, sometimes I fly from the UK and there's you know an hour delay or whatever or flying back to the UK there's a long delay but nearly every flight I've been on here has landed is taken off in advance of the the scheduled takeoff time and arrived in its destination ahead of the scheduled and you've time got your as bags well. as well yeah. I, I imagine yeah. too the bags have come through fairly quickly yeah like unlike at the time i remember where we had to wait hours in what was then bombay bombay airport and then had to make the journey from the domestic terminal to the international one uh, as a transfer and the only way of getting there was in a little cab and we had to put our bags on the roof and they fell off going around a corner so you know, it, it's so transformed from what it used to be like. And in a way, I would say, certainly for players and, you know, and well-travelled media, I think it's uh, it's a pleasure to be able to tour around India now, whereas actually in the past it used to be a bit of a torment. Yeah, it could be quite hard work. I, I remember just on the bags, I remember once being at Ranchi Airport and we flew with the teams, India and, and England, they were going to play a, a one-day international in Jamshedpur, and, and there, there wasn't an airport in Jamshedpur, or there wasn't, so you had to fly to Ranchi, home of uh, MS Stoney, and then there was about a two-hour bus journey. I remember once, there was, there was I think, one or two baggage handlers at, Jam, at Ranchi Airport, it's quite a small airport, and we could see our bags on the other side of the wall, sort of through the flap. But, of course, all the England team bags came off first, and then all the Indian bags came off after that, or India first, then England. And we could see our bags, and we were waiting for two hours. Our bags were on the other side, just waiting for them to come through. And that, I mean, that's the sort of transformation that, that, that we've seen, uh, I think, in, in, in this, this trip, is that everything is just yeah, so much more efficient. The, the restrooms in Ahmedabad Airport are, uh, would, would shame the Dorchester. <laughs> The toilets. I mean, they are absolutely palatial. So, uh, well done to India for the the, the growth and development uh, over time. And I think this World Cup's been pretty good, actually. Although they did announce the fixtures late, and there are all sorts of people beavering away behind the scenes to make it all happen. But it it has been pretty smooth, and I reckon the players have got no complaints in general, apart from the air pollution, the air quality in some cities, which really is a, a bit of a concern. So, the semi-finals, Wednesday and Thursday, we'll be back to review those. And by the way, you can look at uh, my, talking about travels around India, you can look at my Instagram feed, Cricket Analyst 1, to see uh, my latest trip around Mumbai and Ahmedabad as well. And by the way, we'd, we'd love to hear from you, actually. Any thoughts you have about England going forwards, for instance, you can tweet us at The Analyst and at Cricket underscore man uh, or you can send us an email too to the analyst pod at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you this episode was brought to you in association with ig trading and investments if you're thinking about investing in stocks and shares with ig please remember your capital is at risk the value of investments can go up or down and you could get back less than you invest quick update virat kohli hasn't made his 50th odi 100 but maybe he will in the semi-final or in the final goodbye for now
Social Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.